if you ask them, especially coaches, they're always going to ask players like, hey, you think you're ready? Like, the player's always going to say they're ready. Right. So you almost have to, not almost, you really have to put them in a, a position where like, hey, you got to show them a little failure that's not going to set them back. Humor me for a moment and think back to when you were a teenager. Now, for some of us like myself, we may be thinking back years or decades, and for some of you listening, it may be very, very recent. But when you're young, everything in your life is so fresh and new. Everything's in front of you, and you're still at that beautiful point where you can dream of all the great things to come. You're young, athletic, healthy, maybe getting ready to go to college. And just before you leave, tragedy strikes. You're driving your car, fall asleep at the wheel, and when it's all said and done, you lose one of your legs below the knee. Now, at the risk of sounding dramatic here, I want you to ask yourself, how would you react? How would you respond to something this devastating happening to you? And these are the questions I keep asking myself ever since my chat with Andrew Hauser. And to be frank, I'm not sure I know how I would respond. We all like to think we're tough. We all like to think we're strong in the face of adversity. But when something like this happens, how do we respond? The thing that's interesting to me is that I find the challenges in life have a way of forging us into something bigger and stronger than we currently are. And that's definitely what happened with Andrew. He took those trials, those struggles, and turned them into his passion today, helping his athletes get through the return to play process. Andrew has worked in a number of capacities in professional baseball, both in the strength and medical capacities. Most recently, he was the director of performance rehab for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the Director of Player Health and Performance for the Atlanta Braves. And recently, he's made the dive into the private sector in Phoenix, Arizona, focusing on training, rehab, return to play, and consulting, starting his own business called Continuum High Performance. But today, we're really going to lock in on this idea of return to play, or maybe more specifically, return to performance. Because let's be honest here, lots of people are talking about return to play, but how many are really doing it at a high level? And how are they doing it at the highest levels of sport? I mean, Andrew's worked with the Dodgers. He's worked with the Braves. He's seen it. He's been in it. But the biggest question probably for you is how can you take this knowledge to help your clients and athletes get better results when coming back from injury? That's what we're going to be talking about today, and I couldn't be more excited. Return to performance is something we're trying to do at the highest levels here at IFAST with everyone from the guy or gal who likes to play tennis on the weekends to elite athletes in the NBA, NFL, or MLS. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. So what is new in my neck of the woods? Great question. Uh, athletes are doing great in the gym. I've got a ton of basketball guys in, uh, all sorts of different timelines for them. We got guys that are getting ready for summer league. We got guys that are getting ready uh, for training camps coming up, uh, guys hitting free agency. So a lot of activity, a lot of buzz around the gym, and I absolutely love it. Can't wait today. I'm actually going to get to go watch the guys scrimmage live a little bit. So always get to do that 
whenever I get the opportunity. So basketball guys are doing great. All my, I call them my college crew. <laughs> it's kind of a misnomer now because we've got some college soccer players. We got a race car driver in there. We've got G who's like just a do-it-all, played football, played rugby. Now he's dabbling in like some powerlifting type stuff. So I got G in there. It's just a great group. So everybody that I'm working with right now is doing great. Very happy with where they're at. The kids are doing great in their respective sports. Kate is crushing it in baseball. Had a huge game the other night. I think he was three for four, two doubles. Really smacking the ball all over the field. So that's fun to watch. Kendall's soccer tournament is coming up this weekend. So a little bit of nerves going into that. You know, when you're in a tournament, you got you to gotta win, right? Bottom line, you can't draw, you can't lose, you got to get wins. So we had a really bad game a couple weeks ago. We've rebounded, we've had some really good practices, and I feel very confident in how we're going to play this weekend. But I keep telling the girls, hey, look, just because we won the championship in the fall means absolutely nothing right now. Right now, today, we got to win Game Friday, we got to win a game Saturday if we have any chance of getting into a game on Sunday. So wish me luck, excited about the tournament, but also a little bit nervy, which is weird because, you know, they're fifth and sixth grade girls, but I just love this group. And I know I've talked about them quite a bit in the show in the past, but they're just an awesome group of girls and very excited to coach them one final weekend. So we got that. Kendall had her first track meet last weekend, which was awesome. Uh... You know, something that that I've reflected on a lot in the past was when I was growing up, I always played team sports. I never played a stopwatch type sport. And when I say stopwatch, I mean like a track and field or uh, maybe something like powerlifting, which I got into later on. Because the great thing about those individual sports is, yes, you're competing against the field, but you're also always competing against yourself. So it can help teach you about the process. So I don't think she did quite as well as she would have liked which is fine. I just told her, hey, look, you have a baseline now. You know what your 100 meter time is. You know what your long jump distance is. Now we go back to work and we try and get a little bit better each week. So very excited for her. She seems to love track. And hey, man, I, I kind of reached out on Twitter to like Derek Hansen, Boo Shexnader, uh, some of the people that I've had on the uh, show over the years. And I'm like, hey, uh, I may be uh, reaching out to you if she gets serious about this. So kids sports are doing great. Really excited about some of the guests I've got coming up on the show. I got my guy Joe Ken coming back on the big house himself. Jill Coleman, who's an absolute lady boss. Can't wait to have her on. My nutrition coach, Trevor Ratsky. Really excited to have Trevor on, share kind of my journey. Uh, pretty, pretty successful journey overall, too. I think I'm down 15, 16 total pounds. Hit my goal weight yesterday or a day before. So very excited about where I'm at there and excited to get Trevor on and just talk about that process. I'm going to have some NBA guys on because they're finally in their offseason. So the podcast is going to be lit the next couple months. I hope you keep tuning in and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Slovenia is coming up, believe it or not, like 10 days. It's always weird because it takes so much time to get ready for these events. And then like all of a sudden they're on you and then you're there and then it's over. So it always seems to get very fast towards the end. But definitely looking forward to going back to Slovenia. It was such a great experience the first time amazing people. I love Matei, his whole team. So very, very excited to do that. Man, as you can tell, life is really good. Uh, No complaints. Uh, Hope you can say the same. So with that being said, we're going to take a quick break, little message from our sponsors, and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Andrew Hauser. (laughs) 
Today's episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Exerfly. If you're unfamiliar with flywheel training, it's a method of strength training where your athletes generate resistance by using the inertia of a flywheel instead of traditional gravity-based resistance training. By accelerating and then decelerating a disc, your athletes generate resistance at all phases of the movement. This allows for high force training as well as eccentric overloading without the need for crazy heavy weights. I first got interested in flywheel training because I wanted my athletes to be better prepared for sport. Standard free weight training is great for the early preparatory phases, but I wanted something that could improve the rate of force development in both the concentric and eccentric phases of the lift. Most importantly, I wanted to make sure my athletes were prepared for those eccentric forces that they'll encounter in sports. And with their motorized technology, the Exerfly allows you to increase the eccentric phase of the lift from anywhere from 1 up to 80%. The biggest objection I had early on was learning a new piece of tech or equipment. After all, sometimes these things sound great, but really aren't all that functional, or they take forever to figure out. But luckily, if you take the time to watch a few short videos and experiment a little bit, you'll be using the Exerfly like a pro in no time. Setup is quick and easy, and my athletes are absolutely loving it. Last but not least, there are tons of different exercises and variations you can use as well. Whether we're talking squats, hinges, presses, split squats, if you can think of it, chances are you can figure out a way to do it with the Exerfly. The really cool thing is Exerfly is used by numerous teams in the NFL, NBA, over 50% of the English Premier League, and numerous Olympic developmental programs as well. Now, as a small business owner, I normally think, hey, this is way outside of my budget. I can't afford it because we all know in a small business, every penny counts. But Exerfly has you covered there as well. They offer 36-month interest-free financing so you can get started ASAP with your training and pay as you go. And when you factor in a 30-day money-back guarantee, two-year warranty, and free shipping, I really believe this is a solid investment. Look, the bottom line is this. If I don't really love something, I'm not going to promote it on my show. I love my Exerfly, the results I'm getting with it, and I think you will as well. To learn more, head over to exerfly.com so you can start building some savage athletic beasts in your gym. Again, that's exerfly.com. Andrew, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really, really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, it's been a long time since we've gotten to catch up. So. I know. So, yeah. So I've been in professional baseball ooh, for the last 14, 15 years um, as a strength coach and athletic trainer. Uh, I was the most recently, I was the director of performance rehab with the Dodgers. Um, and then I was the performance director with the Braves prior to that. Um, so gotten to wear a number of different hats in that space, uh, like whether it be training, rehab, uh, return to play, uh, med- just from the medical side, just the hands-on side alone, um, and then really pulling a lot of staff, like staff development and staff yeah. integration stuff together, um, especially in Atlanta. That was a really big, big piece of that. Um, and then just... Uh, like yourself, kind of kicking it on the uh, continuing <laughs> education circuit. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to learn from as many people as I can, like yourself. Uh, and ooh, let's see, I'm a Midwest guy at heart. I mean, I grew up in uh, Southeast Kansas, uh, more toward, well, suburbs, but uh, 
close to Kent, about 45 minutes south of Kansas City. Okay. Um, like where the Royals and the Chiefs are. Um, and then like my all my family's still back in the Midwest. Um, my wife's from New Mexico. That's a whole other story. Ooh. How we met. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she's a physical therapist as well. And yeah. Yeah. And now just taking this big next venture into the private space. And it's yes. been, uh, I mean, learned a lot about both the professional and the private space. I feel like already. And it's only been, you know, Few months, three, four yeah. months. Yeah. Well, we're definitely going to tap into that here later on. But one thing I'm really interested in, and I love getting people's backstory. Like, how did you get into the world of physical preparation? Like, how did you get started in all this? Yeah. Yeah. So this, this is probably going to, well, it's going to be a little bit like the stories you probably had from some of your other people, like people getting injured and like, yeah. Oh, okay. So that that's part of it for sure. So I was a, I was a, like a good high school athlete. Um, didn't really know what, like what I wanted to do, what I wanted to go to college for. I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go play baseball or I'll figure it out. Right. Um, <clears throat> always loved to train. Um, that wasn't like, that never felt like that's always been kind of my getaway, like my mm-hmm. space where I could just, you know, uh, almost like my meditation. Um, and then the day we got back from our state baseball tournament, my senior year of high school, uh, got in a really bad car accident, a uh, single car where the door actually amputated my leg on site. So I lost, ooh, I've got about four or five inches below my left knee um, that they were able, the doctors were able to save. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I started my, my college life. Yeah. Really. It was like, okay, uh, well, you have one leg now. Let's, let's figure this out. <laughs> All right. Um, and because of that, like, I, I mean, that just kind of like threw me into a, a spin because I was like, okay, well, uh, I've always identified myself as athlete. Like now what? So uh, like I, I, I went to school, I was, uh, I was rehabbing with a physical therapist. I was like, man, like, like I know this is part of the process, but uh, they're like, I need more, like I need to be pushed more. And, uh, I ended up, there was a, a gentleman and a, another lady that was a, uh, she's an amateur boxer and they both, they were athletic trainers. Uh, my mom randomly found this at the time. I was 18. Like, hey, maybe we could try this. Because I, I don't honestly really remember going to see like athletic trainers or all our coaches were the strength coaches. Yep. Uh, and so I, I went and saw these these individuals and they treated me like they trained me. Yeah. Really. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. Like this is, so I thought athletic training and strength and conditioning were the same thing. I mean, the name would yeah. would, would lead you to assume that. Yeah. Um, which again, that's another conversation. They need some, some work on that front, I think. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so I started uh, training with them and I was going to, I, I ended up staying in-state and going to the University of Kansas at the time. And then I found out like, oh, okay, they have an athletic training program here. Um, so I started like doing hours. This is kind of the transition from where you just like would get your hours signed off on and before they went like super legitimate. Um, so I would just like, I'd go back and like shadow the people that were training me. I, I trained with them. Um, and that was really my, like my push into, into the field. And then again, I just always like from that day, I always saw it's, it's just one profession. Right. I know we all have to have licensure and, for different legality issues, but 
I mean, truly, and that, and maybe I was lucky because that's just, I saw it through that lens from day one. Right, right. Okay, so last but not least, going from school to where you're at now, like fill in those gaps because I feel like you've had a pretty, pretty sweet career. So just yeah. fill us in on those because, yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I see University of Kansas, and he, like it really starts there. Um, I was, whatever, getting my hours. I was like, ah, like I want to see what else is out there. So like I interned for a chiropractor and like, all this guy did was ART mm-hmm. and I was like, man, this guy is like, this is not stuff I'm seeing in the training room. Like this guy is getting like way better results than, than I've, right. I'm seeing. And he's only seeing people like, between one and three times a week for like 15 minutes, a half an hour. It's like, all right, there's something here. So, so that like got me super hungry. Um, and then I ended up getting a, an internship with, uh, after my junior year, at Kansas uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, and so I got kind of plugged into that circle. And at the time they were just looking at some things a little differently. They had uh, a soft tissue guy there at the mid. So I was at the, at the long-term rehab and then I'd go to like AAA in the evening when the AAA team was home. Yep. Um, and this was in Tucson at the time. So it was just funny how things kind of come full circle. So I actually met Neil Ramp uh, he was the basketball strength coach at University of Arizona at the time. So I met him like through a Wait, friend. Hang on, hang on. Neil was in basketball? Yeah, yeah. He what? Was, uh, I never U knew a, that. Yeah, U of A strength coach. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So like, again, I met him through uh, one of our athletic trainers at Kansas, connected me with a friend that she went to undergrad with. That's like Neil's best friend, uh, who was an athletic trainer at U of A at the time. Uh and I remember going, <laughs> how I met Neil is funny because I went over, this guy invited me out, like, hey, we're going to go out tonight. Uh, you're, you're welcome to come along. And uh, I show up and it's we're going to roller derby. Oh, like, solid. All right. So everybody's dressed up except for me. Like, I, I'm probably in, like, my college shirt. Yeah. Jeans, trying to be super suave. And, and uh, I remember walking in, Neil's got, like, short cut off, like, jorts on <laughs> and he was a strength coach at the time so his thigh i mean he's not like he's a thick guy anyways and like his thighs were massive yeah he's got a wig on i was like oh my god what did i just get myself into? yeah um but yeah so like they were going through like uh the diamondbacks at the time just to kind of redirect they were looking at uh like well willem kramer is the soft tissue guy from the netherlands there which really is pretty close to fascial distortion model, I'd say, Mm -hmm. like looking back on it now, um, I've never met anybody with quite that knowledge of anatomy until Mm -hmm. I met him. Uh, (laughs) uh, But he was with the major league club, but he would like, that was kind of going down and like Ken Crenshaw, Nate Shaw, they were pushing a lot of those things at that time. So Pete, the head trainer for the Cubs at the time was really like the person I was interning over or under. And um, he was, and they were pushing, starting to push anatomy trains. So I was just getting like exposed to all of these things. And it was mm-hmm. just like prime time. It's like, it was the first time I've been like super excited about learning. And like everybody was kind of pushing one and pushing one another, like whether it's like staying up on anatomy or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, that felt like a team environment. And I, I hadn't felt that since I'd gotten out of sports really. Right. Um, and it just, everything, you know, happens at the right time. Like, uh, I just lit a fire for me personally. And like, I was, uh, 
an insatiable uh, thirst to learn yeah. at that point. Um, so it was like, okay, like as soon as we got back, like I had to go back, go to school, obviously, but I'd like, if we had a break, I'd go to like an ART course, or I was always just looking up and I was starting to read a ton. Um, <clears throat> and so I actually like I graduated school a little bit early and uh, was a strength coach with the Phillies for a year. And that was good to get like that's again i didn't know like i knew i wanted to be hands-on i knew i wanted to train people um so it was a good entrance into pro ball and i like just to be honest like after i got out i was like Man, i don't know if pro ball is necessarily where i want to be uh, but it just seems like there's more but i i think it's just about getting in like the right fit like, right. so i ended up taking a role with the tampa bay Rays as an athletic trainer and and that was that was perfect. Like I was really just almost like wound up and, and go. Mm -hmm. Um, and so getting mentored along the way by some different people, but like, I, uh, I mean, again, I was going to, I was working full time in the off season at the PT clinic randomly in New Mexico. So that's how, how I met my wife, <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, it was perfect. Cause I'd get like 45 minutes with the person and like, I'd go take a course and then I'd essentially like, go experiment and yeah like, i would just try to like run that system as far as i could uh so i could punch holes in it more or less and they're like okay once some holes were in it then like how do i fill those gaps mm -hmm. um and that's i mean it was really for me it was all like still like you want to i want to learn as much as i can but figuring out no one system's perfect you know uh maybe the human body <laughs> that might be the the one system um, but, uh, like so many tools and this would, uh, this was big later on This got deeper and deeper into both sports. Like you need tools to meet. Like I heard Charlie Weingroff say this one time and it always stuck with me. Like we met actually at a DNS course a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he said like, everybody's got a key. And so what the DNS at the time is figuring out like, okay, well, what's going to be my access point with DNS. Uh, but, but I think I see that as like everybody's got, like, you've got to have multiple keys. Like we don't, we're not sure what the skeleton key is, you know? Mm -hmm. So everybody, you've got multiple keys, multiple tools to, to help get into that door and, and meet that person where they're at. Um, that's more than, more than physical too. Yeah, for sure. Um, but like, so I worked my way up through Tampa. Um, I got plucked off to go back to Arizona and kind of be in a, uh, a spot that at this point, Neil was over in Arizona. Uh, he was kind of on both middleman on both the medical and strength side. Uh, so I was essentially brought over to mirror that role at, at the minor league level. Uh, so it was like being an assistant uh, strength coordinator and an assistant medical coordinator, and then just go where the need is. And then uh, I spent four years there and then the role in Atlanta came up and that was, that was like super exciting for, for me personally. Like it was, I've learned a ton everywhere I've gone. Uh, but that was like, it was the opportunity to build a staff. It was the opportunity to integrate the major leagues, the minor leagues, and like the strength, the medical, the nutrition, and really just start to marry everything together and sure. like that's that's ultimately what i wanted to to do long term at that point in my career 
Um, and I was lucky enough, I mean, I got the opportunity and, um, and you know what, learned a lot, a lot along the way and learned from a lot of people and failed a lot too, but like those, <laughs> those are generally how you, how you, how you get better, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think giving people the safe place to also feel like they could fail along yes. the way. Um, I think any leadership role I've, I've ever been able to be in, like that was, that was huge. Um, so, like I've been in environments where you didn't feel safe and where you did feel safe. And like, those are two totally different uh, situations. Yep. And especially as a young professional, like you need that opportunity uh, to, to make those mistakes and um, got a little one on the way, but you are a parent. Like, yes, you've got to let your kids fall. You've got to let them figure that stuff. That's again, that's how development happens. Yep. Um, and I think that gets lost a lot in the, uh, not by every club, every organization, but I, I think our, we always want to make things as safe as possible, but I think we're just, we need to reframe how we're looking at safety. Yep. Um, so a lot happened in Atlanta, uh, some, some stuff with the front office. Um, I ended up leaving after the, we made the playoffs in 18, which was unbelievable going from we were a wreck when I got there. <laughs> just on, as far as like the on-field product, like we were just not a good team. Right. Um, had some, had some good pieces, but just not a good team at, the, at that point. Um, and then to go through that, make the playoffs. And then uh, we, we've been talking about having a family and just a, a lot of different things going on. So uh, we moved, the Dodgers opportunity came up. And so we, we hopped on onto that. And that was, uh, it's a totally different market than, than Atlanta. Yeah, certainly. Sure. I mean, Atlanta just won the World Series, which was, I, I mean, that, I was, that was, great to see just because i've seen so many of the people over there like staff players coaches uh go through some of the, the bad times too yeah and to see that happen um totally different environment from los angeles um but there's a lot of learning lessons to come out of that and had the opportunity to, to win experience uh winning at the very top top level too which was which was unreal for sure uh, we had to beat the braves to get there <laughs> that didn't ups that didn't upset me too much at the time. But, um, and yeah, now into this totally new journey. So again, just worn worn a number of hats and um, been pretty blessed as far as the opportunities. So just the people I've got to meet—that's um, something I, I can't uh, like. Uh, I would always want to pay it forward. Like I, I was very adamant on like anytime we go on the road or anybody I could connect with and learn something from like I always want to do that and like yep. even like in a baseball season baseball season is tough uh, for personally and professionally just because you're always you've got always got to be on uh, the off season is not really off it just kind of shifts priorities um, but being able to like when we're on the road you have to go meet with different people uh, in every city you go to and you just build uh, it's it's an opportunity to learn to build like actual relationships with people sure um, and then their networks like if you build a true relationship like they open their network to you too so it just i mean it comes back tenfold for sure for sure 
Well, one thing that I know I want to talk to you about here today is this idea of return to play. And it's obviously a hot button topic, something that a lot of people are talking about. But I don't know that we always have the best understanding of how to set it up, how to lay it out, how to execute it. So for starters, because this is something you've done a lot in your space, let's start at the very beginning. Imagine somebody that you're working with is coming off a major injury. What are your absolute first steps in outlining that program that'll help get them back to 100%? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, honestly, like day, like right when an injury happens and and I really got thrust into this part when I was in Atlanta, like I always had to come up with like, hey, we need, we need timelines like right away, like mm-hmm. ne- either that night or the next day. So um, being able to sit down with your staff at that point and say like, hey, like, what's realistic here? So you get your physician in the mix because ultimately he's got to be the one that he or she has to be the one that signs off on it right. um, to, to bring somebody back. Uh, but like doctors have their timelines and then we have like, okay, that's just a framework for us to really work, work under and work with. Yep. Um, and, and then it's starting to figure out like, all right, well, let's see what is the injury? You know, like, is this a bone? Is this a, is this a muscle? Is this uh attraction nerve? Like where we have issues, like, right. I mean, you could run the gap, the gamut. Is it, a, is this going to be surgical? Um, Cause you have to start thinking about like, all right, diagnostics, you have to start thinking about uh, medications that are going to be involved. You have to start thinking about like, all right, what can they do right now? And that might be the most important thing that, yeah. that we could even talk about because I think the big thing with, especially like, I mean, I think athletes at all, um, professional athletes for sure, they always want to do more or be doing something. At least. Yeah. And you have to be careful because if you pull that, take that away say like, no, you're just shut down. Like Not that good. could be psychologically or just like, I mean, that totally flips their world upside down. When we talk about the, the psychological side of things in rehab, uh, I mean, that's huge. Like what can you do? Like, yes. let's, let's start there and then we can build out what's like what you, uh, what you need to be doing from there. So I, I think, uh, making them feel better after that is like, okay, that's that's number one and so like but there's a lot of layers to that because it's like the hands-on portion um the nutritional portion um just giving them a few days to decompress sometimes they do need to step off the gas i heard yeah. um, listening to steven seiler the physiologist talk about that the other day there's a this he's an olympic Olympic gold medalist and world record holder in like the 5,000, 10,000 speed skating. And he made sure during his training, like he always had two days off a week, uh, which oh, I was wow. like, wow. Like that's, that's a lot. That is a lot, especially at the top level. And you can't do that in baseball unless yeah. it's super long-term or like most sports you can't do. Right. Um, but from a psychological perspective, that's something I had learned. Like I was, that was refreshing to hear on, on that end that somebody at that level uh, is doing that. But the, the flip side of that, I, I remember something when I first got into like a leadership role, um, this guy's actually the, the Yankees strength, head strength coach. Now we work together and he said, he's like, man, I've seen, like, I can give these guys whatever, like I want, like I could be the greatest program ever. They're probably going to go home for the holidays, not do anything. 
Mm-hmm. He said, I've seen more guys come back better from not doing anything than I have like running a perfect program. Right. And, and I, I think there's a lot, lot to that, that, uh, that we just take for granted and front offices, I can say like definitely take that piece for granted more often than not, uh, unless they were like played more recently, I should, yeah. I should say, but like that, again, it's coaches are, are kind of the same, like the ball they get away from that a lot of the harder it is to fully comprehend. Yeah. Um, but again, like back, back to your question, like there's all these letters, like your head strength coach, your head trainer, uh, and, and maybe like whoever this injured player is, like maybe he doesn't work with either of those people. Or maybe works with the assistant in, in one of these spaces. Um, uh, maybe they have an outside guy, which which right is definitely a reality. Especially like certain sports, it's it's happening in all sports, but some sports are more prone to it than others. Um, like the, the biggest thing is keeping the athlete at the center of it, knowing like hey like. What like, what do you think? And getting them involved in the process because to me it's like I'm going to create these timelines that that may not be worth anything at the end of the day. But like right. an A, B, and a C, like hey, like aggressive. Uh, this is kind of middle of the road, and and this is super conservative. This this is what we're thinking. But at the end of the day, like the athlete knows their body better than we're ever going to know it. Yes. Uh, and, and I think it's very easy to to forget that, especially the longer, the longer you do it. Um, it's, it's, you've had so many reps with certain guys like, yeah, this is probably going to take about this long, but that's an average, right. <laughs> you know, and like, right. uh, this athlete's different than the last athlete you treated that had that. Um, and, and I think for, uh, even to take this a step further, like the physiological component is like, and this gets ignored a lot in the professional s- sports world, I think is like, how's their body set up to help them heal? Mm-hmm. Like, so how can we help set that environment up? Um, so like maybe they have super low CO2 levels, <laughs> you know, and like, it's, but it's stuff like that doesn't get talked about a lot or yeah. maybe like after an injury, uh, tissue, injured tissue can't utilize oxygen. So what are we doing to combat that and, and help speed that process up? Uh, and those are things that you just have to, you have to have that checklist and start really diving into those things because that's great. If, uh, if a guy can, his force plate numbers are starting to look good again, great. But if he can elicit that contraction, can he let go of that contraction? Right. Uh, like those are things that, and, and that's actually what drove me. Like those questions are have what driven me to different, like, people to learn from along the way um and it's i think it's you're just always opening pandora's box yeah in all, in all those situations but uh so it ends up being this massive checklist of things that like all right like we got to figure out how do we make this digestible for the player how do we make this uh make sense for ourselves how do we divvy it up and then our front office to keep them like they don't they don't care about like Oh, we're going to get this guy's left ventricle working way better. Right. <laughs> like, or, or we're going to get him in a certain position so he can shift better to one side. They don't care about that. Like they want to know like when that person can be back and like they want them performing at at least the level they were at before. Right. Which, again, that's, 
that's another piece. Like those are opportunities, especially with technology going the way it is, with some of the VR capabilities and, and whatnot. Like those are opportunities to really start to dive down and, and say, like, hey, this guy, this guy needs to work on this. How are we setting up a situation again an environment to to get him to that point? For sure. Okay, so kind of along these same lines, it's not just you like dictating all of this, right? It's like you and a team and a staff of people that are working towards this common goal. So in this integrated environment, how do you coordinate all the team members so that ultimately they're all rowing in the same direction? Uh, that's a great question. I, I think that's the question a lot of teams are ultimately trying to answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it's Communication at the end of the day is is the greatest thing to talk about, like psychological safety, like having the environment where you can openly disagree in a room of people. Nobody gets offended about by like having a constructive conversation. Uh, those are the absolute best environments. Uh, those, and again, I'm not saying that you have to be friends with everyone you work with, but like. Generally, like those friendships, those are like your true friendships, I think, yep. too, of like the people that can really punch you between the eyes, but you're like, oh, you mm-hmm. see their perspective. Right. Or, you, and you can do the same to them. Um, uh, not the, not everybody like having an angle where they're trying to put their stamp on the athlete, which I, which I think is big. Yeah. Um, and you see that a lot in the professor or the, the private side of things as mm-hmm. well, which is, again, that, that's a that's a very like interesting unstable place to be yes. I think when if you're trying to help the athlete um, it puts the athlete in a, a weird spot and you know what they athletes aren't claiming some of them are but most of them aren't claiming to be experts in like these areas and that's right. why they're looking for these people uh, both from their own staff and outside and I think it, I think it goes both ways like they're looking for just people they can trust right um but to your point like this is where i've seen it go a number of different ways uh, like in atlanta especially i think what worked well for us was like we would all meet together and information would like if i'm the director information would funnel through me but like i would like we did a really good job of, like okay we meet on somebody we type up the notes and like we recap it so yep. again, you're starting to look at just little things like how important your meetings are and like how making those meetings more efficient uh, are. You're like, okay, so let me get this straight. This is what I heard, making sure like yeah. so you have you have those pieces of information to go to, whether it's the player, the front office, um, especially going to the front office, because you want to make sure, number one, you're not throwing people under the bus that you're on staff with, but you're also representing the staff well. And yeah and building them up uh, again like that, that's part of staff development you want to set people up so they can like feel good number one that they feel like they're being heard they're taking that information that they recommend is getting passed across accurately and then that puts them in a position where like hey you're seeing how these things like when they run smoothly how you take that and you run with it with another club or you take my job like yeah <laughs> right like, right w- w- whatever it is like ultimately like you want all your staff to be in positions that, like they have to, to aspire to as well i think um 
again, a, a little different turn on it, but uh, now being able to spend time with a number of different organizations and staffs, I think that's that's huge because more often than not, you have more people, once you get like the right environment, you have more people that want to be or that have the ability to be in those leadership positions. So yep. it goes back to also allowing them to fail. Uh, you just can't fail as grandiosely yes. at, the, yes. at the top level as you yeah. can maybe at the, the, at the bottom. lower levels. For sure. Um, but again, I think just making sure everybody feels heard and, and getting like the takes from all of those, but it's got to like, it's got to flow through somewhere. Otherwise you just have a boat that's got too many leaks in my, in my experience. Yep. Um, yeah. There might be other places that do it differently. And again, there's, so many roads lead to Rome at the end of the day. That's just the way I've seen it most successful and how I've seen it um, keep everybody like cohesive. Yes, yes. Okay, so this may seem like a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I don't think it really is. You've got everybody on the same page. Now, how do you get everybody over the course of, let's say it's a longer-term injury, a six, nine, 12-month return-to-play process, once you got everybody on the same page, how do you get them to stay on that same page <laughs> and actually follow the plan? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And I, I think uh, people being to t- being able to take the lead on different situations really help with that because they're okay. going to, if player X just has a better relationship with this guy, like, hey, like, I want you to run point on this, but then it's their responsibility to like, hey, like, uh, like he's not this isn't really progressing the way I wanted, but this is going really well. Like, so again, you have to have regular follow-ups just because you set a plan. Like it never goes the way you write it out ever. Yeah, right. Like if I've had one ever, like that was probably my fault because I kept them <laughs> on that plan. Right. Um, but it never goes by like a, a special calendar you created or, oh my gosh, I have so many calendars. Um, but they're always like, the plans have to be so adaptable. So if the plan has to be adaptable and we know that, how, like, why would we not be adapting to the player and like what they're going through the athlete? Uh, and, and this is, to me, that's something important. It's more difficult in the private sector. If you like, again, there's just more entities involved and they're not yeah. physically under the same roof. Yes. But like ultimately, and this is where I think there's, there's probably low hanging fruit in the private sector for almost like uh, plan management from from this from this side, especially with the I mean the high end people, but but also like the high school athletes because there are there's oh I feel better like okay like it's been yeah you haven't done anything for twelve weeks <laughs> but like you probably shouldn't throw a bullpen today or you probably shouldn't we probably should be uh, working on your your hurdle takeoff like yeah so. It, I do think like that plan man or program management is is just an area that could it will start to bring things together and start to bridge some of those gaps in the private space. Um, but again, like you don't know what you don't know, and, and I think that's where being in both areas now. Obviously, I have a lot more experience in the private world, so I've got to be biased more to, to lean off of that, but. Being able to take like what went well in those areas, like that is achievable in the private space, and like ultimately it should all feedback 
to the client and to the athlete and helping them grow higher and higher. But like, it just, I mean, it does come back to just upfront and transparent communication between the athlete and like whomever's taking the lead on that. Uh, and then keeping everybody in the loop because there should be like a, they're having daily inputs with that person, with that right. athlete. Um, if, if I'm working with this, this player, but the group doesn't necessarily have those daily inputs and checkpoints. So it's then it's giving them responsibility. Number one, over, and that's kind of a leadership thing for that, that individual, but to bring that back to the group. And then it's, everybody always knows what's going on. And that was probably the, one of the first things. So Ken Crenshaw is the director of the, the Diamondbacks. Like, I remember vividly when I was the, uh, when I wrote book into a coordinator role in Arizona, he said, no surprises. And mm -hmm. like, that doesn't just go for like myself or like, the front office, that, that should go for everybody in this room. Like I shouldn't be blindsided by like, oh yeah, this player is doing X on, on these days. Like, like where did that come in? And like, where does right. that fit? Right. Um, Cause again, ultimately it's, about the athlete being in the best position to succeed and to to heal and yes. then to come off like i think david joyce turned it in like one of his books like uh return to performance it's not return to play right so like when you start like returning to play is almost like if i have a checklist it's almost like two or three levels down from return to performance yes so like yeah you can be out there and play but like are you ready to perform like two wildly different uh, things. Yes, that's, that, I really like that. Okay, so you kind of mentioned this, but I want to flip this just a little bit. So things are going well, right? The athlete's progressing. All of a sudden, something happens, right? They have a setback. Talk to me about being malleable, being adjustable. Like, where does that come in? And... and I'm assuming you can probably draw from experience, right? Like you said, not every rehab goes exactly the way you want. So talk to me about how you navigate that time and how you maybe course correct to get them back on track. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that is that's a real part of the industry, especially at the highest level, because the athlete pushes way more of the progression than maybe the therapist or the doctor or like that group of people making those decisions. Yep. Um, for the front office, like they also may help make a lot of those decisions. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, it is, it's one of those fine lines that you're always like, because players are, if you ask them, especially coaches, they're always going to ask players like, hey, you think you're ready? Like, the players always going to say they're ready. Right. Um, so you, you almost have to put them, not almost, you really have to put them in a, a position where like, hey, you got to show them a little failure that's not going to set them back. Mm, okay. uh, like it's hard to know what that looks like until I think you get into the situation with that athlete. But like, uh, and, and I think this is part of progression anyways. Like you want to take him kind of to the edge of like, I, I can't do this. Great. That's great. That's great. That's right. right where we need to be. Right. Um, if they, you know, maybe they get a little sore one day again, like I always have used that as an opportunity to be like, Hey, like that's okay. Like, didn't re-injure yourself but like this is just letting you know that you're not quite ready yet. yes and like that's information that that's just your body 
your body's telling us this. It's not me. It's not you making up your mind. Your body is is helping decide this. That's and that's what uh, originally had led me to even utilizing things like the Moxie monitor because I was like, I'm tired of trying to tell people that like, hey, this I don't think you're ready, but like I need something objective to tell you right. that you're not right. ready. Like I can't just go and and just say like, oh, because of this great timeline I built out or that we built out that uh, you're you're going to be ready on this date. They don't, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and it is. And when you get the subjective and the objective working together, like that to me is like, you see a catapult in like athlete buy-in um, and just, just trust that you get from the, I mean, that's what buy-in is, but just trust from the whole, like the whole group involved in that process. Now, a lot of that stuff's short in our short-term memory. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but like, again, like, if you can push them just enough to where like you're not setting it back or again like I, that's why i like the technologies i've always been uh driven to use have been things where it's like okay i know almost how far i can push them mm-hmm. uh, with without pushing them over the edge uh, but i think you only get there from pushing someone over the edge which right. is it's an unfortunate way to learn but um yeah, I mean, just hope those mistakes aren't too too big. Kind of yeah, like yeah. I alluded, alluded to earlier. And sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like, I love the idea of, of objectifying these things, right? Because I think inherently, most athletes struggle to be subjective, right? So, a case in point that I always use is like when prescribing weights to athletes. There's a reason I got away from prescribing weights and just use like VBT with like a gym yeah, wear or yeah. something like that. Because look, okay, that's great. You did 315 last week, but you've slept like three hours a night since then. You're hungover today. Like you're not going to hit 325 today. So when you take out the emotional element of it or like the psychological, I should be better this week. And you provide them with something objective to fall back on immediately. It's like, oh, Okay, well, either I'm in this zone or I'm not. And so it just makes everything in your life so much easier. I find like a lot of the back and forth that you would have had in the past isn't there anymore. It's just like, am I there? Am I not? And it takes the emotion out of it, for lack of a better term. 100%. And and honestly, that's something that I always, uh, from a personal perspective, strove for with uh, in decision-making roles. Yes. I I need to be in these, like, there's going to be emotions. Like I need to be able to be emotional about these things. So like, yes. how do I put processes or checks and balances in place? Or like, if all else fails, I need to have someone that I can turn to and say, Hey, here's the situation. What do you think? Yes. Because like, if, if I'm in, you have to have, I think the emotional intelligence to be able to step back and, and do that and not make that, uh, rash. That, decision or yeah that rash or reactionary decision um because when but you have to be able to identify those situations when that may be happening as well for sure Um, but yeah that's why i love like i'm i'm always on the lookout for like okay what's just going to give me a better objective where i'm not going to have to test fourteen thousand things like yeah maybe maybe i can do uh, again the moxie might be one option um uh, an omega wave if you have somebody that's going to be super diligent with stuff like for for those people that have used that uh but maybe like a, a breath hold could tell me that mm. maybe uh, i think 
the water bags are actually really good for that because if I'm doing really well, like maybe with a, what's normally a simple movement with the water bag, maybe I can't control it as well the next day. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, sure. Okay. Something's uh, neurologically, something's different. Um, right. And, and that's, I was literally having the, that same DVT talk with a, with an Olympic athlete three days ago. Um, because it is, it's like, this is, it's not me telling you, you need to put X amount of wheels on the bar. Like, this is you right. telling, the, telling the bar that. Yeah. Yeah. Your body's dictating the show here, my friend. Yep. Okay. So something you had mentioned earlier, I want to circle back to is the idea of the mental element and the mental side of return to play. So what role do you feel like a physical prep coach can help or fill in that space? Yeah. So I, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> Just and some of my uh, colleagues and, and people I like stay in close contact with, I like I, I've gone deep down the psychological rabbit hole uh, and, and tried to get to know as many good professionals in that space as I, as I could because of this. Um, because it goes it goes pretty far, and <clears throat> I, I think having having a situation set up where again it's not always you, you're not necessarily the one building in some of these things, but like if you can have a like a psychologist, especially build in some of these things to whether it's the training, whether it's their prep work, but it needs to be so seamless that the player does not realize that it's happening more often than not. Mm. Uh, and and I think I have I've got a psychologist friend that does this really well as far as educating coaches. Now I have a strength coach or physical preparation coach friend that does this. Like I was on a call with him yesterday and I was like, I just sat back. I was like, this is impressive because he's like, he's layered so many things in to bringing more attention to something. Okay. And so it's like, they don't even realize that they're becoming more attentive to different things or Mm -hmm. like correcting like, Hey, this, this person was very, uh, uh, they kind of cut themselves down. And, And like, if I heard it, like I wouldn't even, I probably wouldn't think twice about it, but he like, he caught onto it right away. And right. he's like, Hey, like, and he catch him on it. And again, so now it's like, all right, so he's bringing attention to something and he's starting to change a narrative mm-hmm. and like, and then he's doing that through the breath more often than not. So okay. hey, when you do these things, like what's your breath doing? So it's like, he's got kind of a trifecta going that I think is absolutely genius in, in how he operates. Um, and I think long term from a, from an athlete, um, the the psychologist is taking a different route where he's trying to teach the coaches as many skills as they can. So again, they can work things in seamlessly. Now it's more from a skills perspective where the other gentleman's doing a, a way. And these people both do it way better than I do. That's why yeah. that's I'm, <laughs> um, I'm choosing to talk about them. Um, but he's building it in more from like the, the soft skills intrinsic side while they're building it more from the, the external side of things. So it's, uh, I think, again, if you can marry those things, then you've got a pretty freaking sweet environment, yeah. which kind of, kind of brings that whole thing full circle. Like it's external and internal environment. That's, that's what we're trying to, uh, those two things are really what's set up in my opinion, like sustainable performance. Yeah. I love it, man. Okay, so I know we're kind of up against the clock here, but you've talked about this a couple times. You moved, long tenure in pro sports. You've been in the game 14, 15 years there. Now you're in the private 
training world. What kind of learning experiences has that generated for you so far? Yeah, now it's it's opened up a lot of different ideas because now you're able to see, again, you're able to see warts on both sides mm -hmm. of like the private space and the professional space. And, and quite honestly, like in the, uh, the pro sports world, there are, no matter the caliber of the athlete at that, or the uh, like esteem of that athlete, like there's so many people that need uh, hands-on work. They need to be coached. Like there's just a lot. And like, no matter what, like until it's a two to one or a one to one ratio, you know, it's, uh, there's only so much time of the day. And so yeah. there is like, I have a lot of empathy, especially towards like the, the football world. Um, like they have so <laughs> many, so many people, so many athletes to worry about. Um, but that's been an eye opener of like, Hey, like, Maybe that is the opportunity for the private space to like, uh, like get opportunities with some of these higher, higher athletes because they can spend more time. Sure. They have, they have the time to spend, but usually what happens, what I've seen, and it's just my experience, the good, the good ones in the private space, very good communicators, uh, but the, ath the athletes paying them directly. So like, where's that more often than not? creates a disconnect of like what information is getting uh, transferred each way. Mm. And, and so I think when you can marry that communication process and uh, it's not where I think the pro sport model could get in trouble of, of trying to dictate maybe what's happening with that private sector person. Cause I've seen that too. And that like, you don't want to, that's not why they're going to that person. Right. Uh, but when they can be involved in it, it keeps people's egos out of it. It keeps people like, again, on the same page where ultimately like, Hey, this is about the athlete. And what the private space gets in trouble with a lot is they try to put their stamp on an athlete. Sure. And when you do that, it's no longer about the athlete. Yeah. And, and like, I, the, again, this, the short time I've, I've been in the private space that I've already been able to see that and you're working around so many layers of stuff that if the athlete's not communicating much with you, then you're just going off your best guess yeah. <laughs> really, yeah. really at that point. And so you have to be careful, especially when they are in season, let's say with a team that you're not doing all this work to make yourself look really good and put your stamp on the guy. Whereas like he's going to like his job is to perform with that team on yeah. Sunday or every day of the week. Uh, right. Or like those two things don't work. So it's like, you've got to find as the, the private space guy, like, Hey, what's going to be the biggest bang for your buck that you can provide that athlete with that's going to allow him to continue to perform Because frankly, the better that athletes, that athlete performs, the better you're going to look anyway. So why are you yeah. trying to, yes. why are you trying to make him look be really good at this thing that like, maybe it's just thrashing his nervous system exactly. or thrashing his uh, tissue. Like his tissue just can't recover. Yes. Um, so I, I think there's a gap between those two spaces. And I think, I, I hope I'm wrong, uh, but I think that gap's going to grow because the private sector individual is getting like more and more prominent in the pro sports world. Like you're seeing it a lot in the NBA, you're seeing it into the NFL, and and now you're starting to see it trickle in into uh, MLB. And I mean, I, I'm, it's in every sport, so it's not sure. MLS. Uh, I mean, NHL, like it's everywhere. 
Um, but I think it is like everybody being on the same page to like help support the athlete. The athlete needs to take ownership of that. And I think it actually kind of goes back to this, this program, program manager idea where I think that can really catapult the athlete that is going to have that private state, private sector guy. Yep. Yeah. The thing that I always try and remind myself of, and I think if you're a young physical prep coach, a young strength coach, and you want to be around high level athletes, I'm all for that. Like I dreamed about doing that and I fulfilled that dream. But I think two things you have to remember, and you just said it very, very well. Number one, you have to be okay with the fact that you are support staff, right? Like, and especially in the private sector, right? Because you got to think if, if we're looking at the food chain, they've got real coaches, right? Like GMs, real sport coaches. They've got performance coaches at their team that they have to answer to at some level. So I'm like the support staff of the support staff. So you really need to, to knock your ego back a bit and be okay with that. But you said it very well too. Like, look, at the end of the day, if you're just doing stuff to make them feel like they got a workout, you're going to lose, right? The goal at the end of the day is for them to perform at a high level because a lot of these guys are superstitious. It's funny. We were having this discussion, but like if they associate you with feeling good and playing good and getting another contract or getting a bigger contract, they're going to stay with you forever, <laughs> right? Versus if they associate you with, oh, I feel tired, uh, I have bad games or I'm beat up, like they're not going to stay with you. So it's weird, but sometimes doing less in the grand scheme is actually doing way more for them. Yeah, it, it's funny. Like to your point, some people I've seen do like get very good buy-in in the private space. They, no matter what they're doing, hands-on, like you could agree with it, you could not agree with it. They're always laughing, smiling, and like some of them just tell jokes a lot. And, like yeah. it could be it could be absolute nonsense, but I've seen those people get really good buy-in and i've just sat sat back and been like man like what is it what what am i miss what am i missing here yeah um but i mean there's definitely something to that and and i think the private sector like you have such a big opportunity to like to do things that they're not going to do with their team yeah so like when we talk about testing or monitoring like athletes at the top levels like all the all the tech and stuff that people get excited about like publicly like they're not going to use that because they think it's going to be used against them yeah uh once contracts come up whether right or wrong that's just like that's where it's at yeah so like why wouldn't you like if i know that but i like in the private space like you can fill that gap and like by being able to fill that gap you're also setting them up again for like uh you're educating the athlete you're making them like they're they're becoming like more responsible in the process quite yes. quite honestly yes. and like i mean that's pro athletes like they have in some cases yeah they, they've got a lot of money they've got uh more do- doors open to them because of that but like people at the like the brass tacks of it like people still crave some structure yeah and like when they lose that and the inmates run the asylum uh, <laughs> like it, it becomes, yeah, it just becomes a, uh, you can become a detriment to your own success. Yeah. I think at that point, and like you can help them do that. But again, we talk about the mental side of it. Like you can help them do that without like 
it's not taking them more, but it's just becoming a good checks and balance for them. For sure. For sure. All right, my guy, big question time. If you could alter the space time continuum and give young Andrew Hauser one piece of advice, what would it be? I go back to November 5th, 1955. No. <laughs> <laughs> one piece of advice. Um, you know what? It would actually be to like really stay in the moment of like when you think times are like the absolute worst, like really pull in as much as you can in those situations because like as terrible as they seem like you're i it, without fail for me personally like i've always gone back and like those are the situations like i grew so much from i learned so much from and like you just all you can think of, about when you're in those situations is to get out of the situations but to really like hey like just can't just hang out there you know like yeah. I, I think the as as above so below or, or however the saying goes or like heaven's only going to go as high as like as deep as hell goes like you have to like i think really go through a lot of those things and like you're going to come out the other side at the end of the day and but just being able to take like every get every sense involved and take it take advantage of those terrible situations yeah like, sounds weird but it's uh like i wouldn't like even going back and like lose my leg, like I would not take that back just for like, would it be nice to have my leg? Yeah. But like, I don't want to take that back for like the path or the direction that's that uh, sent me down or just like the, the depth of learning that came just from that. Like I wouldn't right. have been able to learn those things otherwise. It, it helped forge and mold your path, right? Yes. For sure. Yes. Okay, cool. Last but not least, lightning round. Four fairly short questions. Your answers can be as long or short as you like. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach? Mm-hmm. Uh, great question. I think the World Series was incredible. That, that was a great experience, but it was actually making the playoffs the first time in Atlanta. Uh, because, again, like you, you've gotten to be a part of that whole, like, from the seller to now, like you're getting into the playoffs and like, but being able to enjoy that with uh, like staff that you helped develop and mentor and like, and just going through seasons like that is, is tough enough, but being able to go like, essentially you may not have been up on the, the peak yet, Yep. but like you were, you had gotten to base camp. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Okay, number two. I feel like this is going to be redundant, so I'm going to tweak it slightly. I think you said, again, 14, 15 years in pro sports. Was there, and this is hard, but was there like one athlete, didn't have to be the best athlete, but one athlete or two athletes over the years that just really stood out to you for some reason? Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, I think we all have athletes we've worked with just be like, like, you just want to be friends with them at the end yeah. of the day because they're just great people. So yeah. there's definitely uh, there's a few of those that have just been every step along the way, like that you've really like appreciated. But but one thing, I don't want this to be a cop out answer, but one thing like I've really made it a priority to do over the years, especially as I've kind of gone higher up, is like there's something that makes these people elite at what they do, mm-hmm. and like there's 
yeah, there's a, it's multiple things, but in my opinion, the best of the best, it's always one thing that's just like, Ooh, like I, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that before. Yep. Uh, like I, I just worked with this NFL athlete, like all pro, like obviously a great athlete, but like, Ooh, like that guy has the ability to like lock in and focus better than anyone I've ever seen. Yeah. And, and like, okay. Like I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it quite like that before. Mm. Uh, or like one thing I've always respected, uh, player I had in Atlanta that no matter what, like he, no matter what he did, he could strike out, he could hit four home runs in the game. He was always right here. And yeah. that's something I started to see with guys that were like, had more sustainable success, no matter what their personality was, like there was always a regression to the mean and their mean was not high, low, high, low. Right. Like they, they kept it pretty dialed. So there's just been a lot of athletes that have taught me a lot without them even realizing it over the years. Yes. Um, I, I love that part of it. Don't you? Yeah. Like, that, I, that's the best part. Yeah. Okay. Number three, what are you most excited about in this move to the private sector? Uh, I'm able to now see like, I have a pretty eclectic interest base and like, <laughs> not just like sport, but like, it's just all over. Um, and able to really dive into some of those areas that I have like big interests in. And like, you don't have to limit yourself. Right. Like it, it is, it's like uh, uh, limitless potential. I, I, I think would probably be the, be the way to frame it. That's kind of buzzwordy, but or that's crazy. Um, <laughs> but being able to scratch a number of different issues yeah and not just like have to dial in and say like hey like this is all i'm gonna do like okay like yeah i've been in baseball but like i think i'm working with one baseball player right now and a football player a track athlete like yeah and being able to do it for multiple platforms like you don't always have to be in person like the virtual stuff yeah it's like i think there's a lot of opportunity there um as well that you can can help people out with for sure so again i I think it's just there's just for somebody with at least like me who has a lot of interest but has a lot of areas where they can uh, they've learned from a lot of people in a lot of areas like i think that's a great opportunity to start creating things and like passing that information on to a lot of people yeah i love it man okay last but not least number four what's next for andrew hauser what are you working on? What are you excited about? What does the future hold? It's a big question. Well, fatherhood, I think is. Yeah, right. that's a big so... one. That's a big one. <laughs> so I got a, got a baby on the way in the next two to three weeks. Uh, I, I'm like, my, my wife makes fun of me because I'm like, I'm reading like these old school, like 50s, like baby uh, fitness books. And like, right. Oh, like, at the end of the day, like, I'll probably just throw all that out and, like, kind of like the athletes we talked about. Like, I'm going to learn more from them than they're going to yeah. learn from me, I think, at the end of the day. But, like, that's really, really exciting uh, just from a, I, know, I think, even from a, a marriage perspective, like, it just takes your marriage to a totally different Oh, yeah. Too. Yeah. Good for uh, you, man. Yeah. Uh, so, from a personal perspective, there it is. The professional, professionally, again, I kind of started to identify some areas where I just think like there's some low hanging fruit for the industry uh, and being able to like 
it's, it's kind of like being in a, a part of a team. Like, I don't need to be the guy for that, but like, if I can help people fill those gaps, like to me, that's a great opportunity. Uh, and to, to pay it forward from all the people I've been mentored by. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, Andrew, this has been awesome, man. So great catching up with you. Glad we got to reconnect. Where can my listeners find out more about you and uh, all of your new adventures you have coming up? Yeah, so uh, website going online probably this week. So continuumhp.com. You can reach me. I love honestly connecting with people. Andrew at continuumhp.com. And and like, I'll do my best to, to get back to you. And like, again, like I just love love going back and forth with people and <clears throat> talking shop. Um, I, my social media presence is not the best. So <laughs> perhaps, perhaps that's an area I'm going to need to, uh, to step up as I move into the private, private okay. space. Uh, but yeah, I've got a, I've got Twitter, I've got Instagram, LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, I'll yeah. make sure, I'll make sure I get all the links in the show notes and yeah, if you listen to this and, and Mr. Hauser has them posted in a few days on Instagram. Let him know. He needs to step his game up. Yeah, so. bring it. Bring yeah. it. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, Andrew, again, thanks so much for your time, man. This was really great. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll be in touch. All right, my friend. That does it for this week's episode with Andrew Hauser. Really hope you enjoyed it. Like I told you up top, man, this guy's story is really like second to none. Other than... I'm trying to think, maybe it was Brett Bartholomew that almost died because of stuff that he had going on when he was younger and his health issues. Man, this guy lost the function. He lost his lower leg. And it might have slowed him down for a little bit, but not in the grand scheme because he's succeeded at the highest levels of sport. He's been curious. He's continued to learn and grow and evolve. So I have so much respect for Andrew. Really love this episode. And I really hope you enjoyed it as well. So If you enjoyed the episode, I've got a small ask for you. If you're not already subscribed to the show, go to wherever you consume podcasts and do that right now. Doesn't matter. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, wherever you consume podcasts, we're there. Hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. This show wouldn't be where it is without you. So thank you. I love and appreciate you. We will be back next week with another great episode. Until then, thank you so much and have a great day.